<laughs> Happy New Year, everybody. Man, it's so good to start this year off with you guys. Hey, let's welcome all of our friends on all of our campuses as we start this new year worshiping together. Let's just welcome everybody, all right? Everybody, everybody, everybody. First service of the new year. Awesome. Man, I'm so thankful for the great run we had in 2018. God blessed our ministry in incredible ways. I cannot wait to see what he's going to do in 2019. One of the things I'm most excited about that happened in 2018 was our Christmas offering, where we tried to make a seat at the table for our downtown campus, Lord willing, that's going to happen in 2019. Now, for the last 14 years, we've been setting up church in a beautiful theater without the benefit of any well-designed children's ministry space or even a day-to-day presence in our downtown region. But all of that changed last October. And on Thanksgiving this year, uh, we were giving thanks to God for providing us with a really special piece of amazingly strategic property in downtown Savannah. By God's grace, we had saved enough to pay for the property, but we still need to get it renovated and ready for ministry. I ask you to pray about giving generously to our Christmas offering between this Christmas and next so that we could raise the $4 million needed to complete this project debt-free. And friends, God showed up. Uh, God showed up uh, since the 12th of December. We have received over $2.3 million for completely underwriting this facility in cash, cash. Now, our office was closed this past week, so we don't even know how much was given to the year-end offering last week yet. Uh, that number is still going up, up, up. Friends, only God could move his people to be so generous and give over $2.3 million in a 30-day period. That is crazy cool. Let's just take a minute and say thank you for all we've been given so far and all that will come in between now and next Christmas to meet this need. Father, we love you. And we are so thankful to be a part of a church that has that audacious spirit. Lord, you know, we read about these daring, sacrificial, bold souls in the book of Acts. And so many times we spend our whole life going to church, never see a thing like that. Never get around people like that. Never around those kind of initiatives at all. And yet, Father, we get to breathe this oxygen every day. And we see you do great things. And that leads only to greater things. And we're thankful, thankful, thankful that we get to be a part of it. Thank you, Lord, for using our church in this special way. We love to be used by you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. amen. All right, now this weekend, we start a new series of messages that we're calling Soul Detox, because some of us have been putting on a little spiritual weight over the last year. Can I get amen? amen. <laughs> I didn't expect much response on that, and I appreciate it. Some of us have stacked up a little bit of hurt, some habits, some hangups that have cluttered and contaminated and weakened the spiritual health of our soul. You know, somebody asked Jesus one time, what is the most important commandment in the Bible? And he answered like that. He gave an answer that everybody in that Jewish crowd would understand. It's a famous answer. You've probably heard it many times. Jesus answered the most important commandment in the Bible is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. Now, for the next few weeks, I want to encourage you to think about what might happen in 2019 if we had a healthy heart and soul and mind and body to offer the Lord every day. And what would it take to start taking some steps in that direction? You know, when Jesus says, love the Lord with your whole heart, the heart is talking about the core of who you are. It's your will. It's the decisions, the, the things you decide to live for. 
Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. Then Jesus said to love, to God, to love the Lord with all of your soul, 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 which is a reference to your personality. It's a reference to the emotional center of who you are. It's your identity. This is the unique thing that marks you eternally as who you are, your soul. Now, Bob Russell taught us last week that what happens when we die is our body dies, but our soul immediately begins life in eternity, either in the presence of God or not. Which is why Jesus seemed to teach that when we get to heaven, we will recognize each other because your soul, the soul that you have now is the essence of who you are and it always will be on into eternity. Jesus went on to say that we would, if we love God, we should love him with all of our mind. That means we don't allow any big areas of our thought life to become a stronghold for the evil one. Uh, Jesus envisioned people whose thinking capacity is focused on honoring the God they love, no matter what they think about. And then finally, we love God with all of our strength. Now, of course, the implication is that you have strength. You are strong. Just say, I am strong. God made me strong. strong. Not about you. It's about what God's doing in you. There is a strength that God has put in you that God wants us to show our love for him by using that strength for him. And some people do. And some people don't. Some hearts are getting stronger, stronger, stronger. Some hearts have been so contaminated by the world that they just keep getting weaker and weaker and weaker. So today we're going to start at the top of Jesus's list And we're going to talk about detoxing our hearts. Now, if there is some disease, there's some uh, habit, some pathway that we have chosen that makes our heart weaker, welcome to detox. And friends, I'm praying that over the next four weeks, we're going to get wiser and stronger. We're going to start over the next four weeks and we're going to keep getting wiser and stronger all through this year. Now, it won't happen today and it won't happen this week, but it could start today. Amen. Let me start out by telling you the story of a man who spent 40 years building a really strong heart. Back in the late 1800s, a man named Lawrence Saint uh, was born in Sharpsburg, Pennsylvania. He became a very famous artist. Stained glass uh, was his medium. Uh, I don't know if you watched President Bush's funeral last month on December the 5th at the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C., but if you've ever been to the National Cathedral, you've seen Lawrence Saint's work. He designed all the stained glass of that worship center and many other churches all over Europe. He and his wife, Catherine, had two children, Nate and Rachel. Now, you may have heard the name Nate Saint because Nate died the year I was born. Nate was a gifted bush pilot for Missionary Aviation Fellowship. Nate was serving the Lord in Ecuador where he and four other missionaries moved their whole families to take the good news about Jesus to an indigenous tribe called the Aka Indians in the Ecuadorian rainforest. Jim Elliott was one of those missionaries. His wife, Elizabeth, wrote an amazing book about that adventure. She named it through Gates of Splendor because of a Bible verse in the Old Testament that really comforted her through this whole process. And if you're looking for a great read that would inspire you, I would encourage you to read through Gates of Splendor. Jim Elliott is the man who wrote, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let's say that all together. Y'all ready? Here we go. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. That phrase right there is one of the things that God used to call me into the ministry when I was 15 years old. And I was looking at law and I turned toward the ministry. And that's one of the things God used right there. Nate Saint 
Nate Saint would land his Piper Cub, which is a little airplane, on a sandbar in the Karari River, where they began to make attempts to con- make contact with the Aka Indians just to make friends so they could eventually share the gospel with these folks. This sadly, this effort ended in disaster and the Aukas eventually attacked them, killing all five of these missionaries. Uh, their bodies were found on the sandbar by the remains of the airplane. Uh, Jim Elliott's daughter had asked her daddy before he left if he had a gun. And he said, yes, I do. She said, would you use it if you were in danger? He said, no, baby. <laughs> no, baby. These people don't know Jesus yet. I would not take the life of a man who doesn't know Jesus to save my own. Anybody want to say, wow, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Easy to read. Well, let me tell you, Nate Saint and Jim Elliott lived that out. Life magazine carried the story of the massacre, mentioned on the front cover. You know, so the whole world heard the story, go ye and preach the gospel, five do and die, was the title of the article. The rest of the story, though, um, is actually more amazing. Nate's sister Rachel and his wife and Jim Elliott's wife believe that God called them to reach this tribe for Jesus. These women refused to believe that their husbands died in vain. So these fierce, godly women went into the same jungle to make contact with the same Aka tribe. And God used these women to lead that tribe to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. That was 62 years ago. Today, friends, the people of that tribe are predominantly followers of Jesus who are now leading other tribes to Christ and planting churches in the jungles of Ecuador. Many of you have been to Ecuador, working with our mission down there. My son Garrett spent a year in Ecuador as a missionary to help plant a church down there, building on the foundation that was laid by five martyrs and their intrepid wives and children. Now that is an amazing story about people with an amazing heart. It's a story about people who love the Lord with their whole heart. It's a story about life-changing compassion in the name of Jesus. It's a story about counterintuitive kingdom love. Because let me just ask you, how do you show the love of Jesus to your husband's murderer? How do you pull that off? What compels you to try to lead the murderer of your parents to Jesus? I mean, that's an amazing love story. And now it gets even crazier. Steve Saint, uh, who was three years old when his dad died, <clears throat> went with his mother and grew up with the Aka Indians. Uh, when he got to be college age, uh, he went to America. He got involved in aviation, he, like his dad. Uh, he invented a flying dune buggy that you can actually see on YouTube if you want to, if you're a nerd, like <clears throat> some pastors we know. Steve stayed in touch with the team. Uh, that was down in Ecuador. He stayed in touch with the tribe. He spoke the language fluently because that's where he grew up. He basically left Ecuador to come to America to be a godly businessman. And Steve said one of his ongoing regrets was that his children never had the opportunity to know their grandfather. Now, Steve only knew his dad until he was three years old, but man, he had great memories of his dad and his dad was just one of these big giant personalities. And, and so it was a grief to Steve that his children never got to know their grandfather and, and, and didn't have a grandfather. Well, his Aunt Rachel stayed down in Ecuador with the Aukas, and she was developing an alphabet, you know, so they could eventually translate the Bible into the Aka language and then disciple those people in their faith. She invested her whole life there as a spiritual leader and Bible translator and teacher. And when she died, the tribal leaders contacted Steve to let him know that his aunt had passed away. And they said, Steve, we want you to come back and take her place. 
We want you to leave your business and come back to Ecuador and take her place. And he did. He left his business in Jacksonville, packed up his wife and children, moved to the jungle, no running water, no electricity, living in a tribal environment, continuing his father's legacy, all the while wishing his children had a grandfather. Well, as it turned out, while they were down there, his kids adopted an old man in the tribe. Because, you know, kids are good about that. They just pick an old man out and adopt him, right? And they picked out this old man named Menkayane that everybody called grandfather anyway. Uh, they were just drawn to the warmth of his personality and his charm and the love he showed to them. So he became their adopted grandfather. And the unbelievable part of this story, you know where this is going, right? That grandfather is the very man who killed their real grandfather and was led to Christ by their grandmother and by Steve's aunt and grew as a disciple of Jesus until he became a Christian leader in that tribe and now became their adopted grandfather. And it gets crazier. When his kids are going into high school, Steve moved his family back to the States and his youngest son was a senior. Steve asked him, what do you want for your graduation present? He said, I want you to bring Grandpa Menkayani from the jungle to my graduation. <laughs> That's not easy. <clears throat> That's not an easy thing to do. Tribal people are basically undocumented citizens in their own country. Their country doesn't have records of them. They have no passport. How do you get one of those folks out of there? I mean, their own government can't identify them. And through some amazing circumstances, uh, God incidences, we like to call it, uh, they made that happen. And his adopted grandfather attended his high school graduation, who a man who in another life had been the murderer of his grand, real grandfather. And Steve has written a book about this called The End of the Spear. And a movie was made about this. And I'm telling you, it's worth watching. It, it really is worth watching. But friends, can you imagine the conversations that Nate Saint and Men Kayani are going to have in heaven talking about the sad, tragic intersection of their lives that led to Nate's death and probably led more missionaries into the ministry than anything that has happened in our world in the last hundred years? Can you imagine Nate and Menkayani talking about that intersection and his death and then the amazing life-changing grace of God that led to Menkayani's faith and then the heart and soul and mind and strength for him to step in as a surrogate grandfather for the grandchildren of the man he killed. Dude, that's amazing. By the way, did God let Nate Saint down? We just sang about it a minute ago here at the Henderson campus. Never going to let you down. You're never going to let me down. Did God let Nate Saint down? Only if you have the most minute and immature perspective. Nate has been in heaven for 62 years. His legacy has been changing lives for 62 years. His children grew up with a dad in heaven who was a hero. A hero. God never lets us down. Amen? Amen. He just never lets us down. <clears throat> now, friends, that heart, Nate Saint's heart, and Menkayani's heart, totally changed by Jesus. But I could hear some of y'all saying right now, Cam, I could never do that. <laughs> Bro, I could never do that. I could never help the people who hurt my family like that. I could never love the man who killed my dad. I know. I know you can't. You know why? Because you need heart surgery. You need heart surgery. Uh, you need a spiritual heart transplant. We all do. Amen? Amen. 
We all do until we get one. That's why God told the prophet Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out that stony, stubborn heart and I will give you a tender and responsive heart. Now friends, that detox spiritual heart is promised by God to everybody who chooses to be a part of his family. So let's look at this. Turn with me in your Bible to Luke chapter six. Luke chapter six, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke chapter six, where Jesus is gonna tell us what a heart will look like after he takes us through uh, detox. Luke chapter six, verse 37. How many of y'all got a Bible with you? Hold it up if you brought a Bible. Let me see who's got one, analog or digital. I don't care, hold it up. There you go, digital. I like that, I like that. Listen, this is a good habit to start in January, 2019. Bring your Bible with you every week on your phone. Bring one like this, which is awesome. Hey, you know what's great about a Bible like this? Y'all watch this. Still works. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> just say it, you know. I'm just saying. The analog version, there's a reason for that. Now, there's a blue Bible in the chair in front of you on all of our campuses. Uh, man, turn to page 863. If you're new to the Bible and you get us all, you'll be all synced up with us. Uh, if you have, uh, you know, if you're new here and you have a phone with you, you can actually, you know, open the Compassion Christian app and our note sheet, a very detailed note sheet is right there on your phone and you can fill it in during the service and then email it to yourself at the end of the service. But Luke chapter six, verse 37 is about halfway through one of the most famous messages Jesus ever gave. Let's look at verse 37. Jesus says, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Now, friends, this passage contains four detox strategies. There's three of them in this verse, and there's another one that's coming up in a minute. But I think we can boil all three of these down to one idea. We need to detox judgmentalism and replace it with grace. Say it with me, everybody. Detox judgmentalism and replace it with grace. You don't just say no to judgmentalism. You've got to say yes to something else. You've got to say uh, a bigger yes. Uh, say yes to something better, to grace. Now, Jesus is going to remind us that when he forgives us, he starts to make our heart just like his. He is a forgiver. And so what do we become? Forgivers. Now, friends, consequently, we don't judge harshly because Jesus doesn't judge harshly. We don't condemn quickly because Jesus doesn't condemn quickly. We show grace because we have been shown grace. Now, friends, these commands are kind of a continuation of what Jesus said back up in verse 31 which is what we call the golden rule, as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Friends, one of the first things that we learned about following Jesus is he empowers us to do what nobody can consistently do without him. Look at this verse again. Let's say it all together. Y'all ready? Here we go. As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Now think about what that says. What you wish people would do for you, lead with that. You do that. Do that first. Friends, you're not going to find this kind of consistent, positive, powerful first move in any other religion in the world. Frankly, you're not going to find it anywhere else in the world except among followers of Jesus. Now, the world has a very similar rule, but it's a negative form of what Jesus calls us to do. Our world says what you don't want others to do to you, don't do to them. The most famous Jewish rabbi was named Hillel. He said, what is hateful to you yourself, do not to someone else. What you don't like, don't do to other people. That's the way the world thinks. Emphasis is on the negative. It's all about self-protection. Don't mess with other people. Maybe they won't mess with you. And there is an element of wisdom in that, man. In the world, if you don't mess with other people, generally they don't mess with you. But what's the motive of that? 
It's all self-protection. Don't be bad to me and I won't be bad to you. This is not the golden rule. This is kind of the lead rule. And it's really reactive. But Jesus came to make hearts that are proactive. Proactively loving hearts. Jesus wants you to have the kind of heart that is so loving and so empowered by the Holy Spirit that you leave people wondering what in the world is going on. And here's how it works. You may be messing with me, but I am still going to do to you what I wish you were doing to me because your behavior does not get to set my agenda. You may be judging me, writing me off, but I'm not going to do that to you. I'm going to do for you what I wish you were doing for me. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to write you off. You may be condemning me, but I am not going to do that to you. I'm going to do to you what I wish you were doing, which is talking to me, trying to understand me, listening to me, giving me the benefit of the doubt. Now, friends, <coughs> excuse me, this is an approach to life that is unique to Jesus. And it's about proactive grace. It's not about retribution. It's not about reaction. And friends, there's another nuance to this passage we need to consider as well. Look at it one more time. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Have you ever noticed that this is the favorite verse of people who don't know anything about the Bible? Everybody that knows nothing about the Bible knows this verse. You'll be talking at work to some coworker who has no church background at all. And you'll be talking about some obviously corrupt thing that's happening out in the culture or happening in some relationship at work. And then they'll quote the Bible to you. Judge not. Judge not. Doesn't the Bible say judge not? Aren't you judging them? The Bible says don't do that, right? Well, let's talk about that for a minute. Let's talk about what the Bible actually does say about judging. Because Jesus says here, judge not and you will not be judged. Part of this is just common sense. If you have a judgmental spirit, and you nitpick people all the time, you should prepare to be judged and nitpicked all the time. What you reap, you will sow. Amen? People are going to be saying behind your back all the time, who in the world does she think she is? Who died made him judge? Kind of like the woman who went to a seafood restaurant and asked the host, do y'all serve crabs here? And she said, oh yeah, we serve everybody. Because <laughs> 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 you know, being judgmental makes you crabby, y'all. <laughs> Jesus warned about this. You lead with a crabby, judgmental, condemning spirit, you're going to get judgment and con condemnation back. Jesus said you would. On the other hand, though, when Jesus says judge not, does he mean that we should suspend all critical analysis? That we should switch off the gift of discernment, which is a spiritual gift? Should we disregard the intuitive signals that come our way when we know people are lying to us? Or we know they're mistaken. They just don't see it. They, they don't have the right information. Amen. Of course not. Because in verse 41, Jesus warns us about following bad spiritual leaders. He tells us to make a judgment and not follow spiritual leaders who are spiritually blind because they're going in the ditch. And if you follow them, they'll take you in the ditch as well. In verse 43, he tells us you can judge a tree by the fruit it bears. And he's using the tree as a metaphor for people and fruit representing the outcome of their lives. In verse 45, he tells us we can judge whether a person's heart is good or evil by what consistently comes out of their mouth. You can tell what a person's heart is like. You can judge what a person's heart is like by what consistently, come, consistently how they talk. So when Jesus says, judge not, he's not talking about dumbing yourself down and saying, okay, I don't judge. Have y'all ever heard that phrase before? I don't judge. Every time I say that, people start laughing. I don't know why, all right? But that's not what Jesus is calling us to do. Just don't make any judgments. Jesus is warning us off about 
condemnation without consideration. He's warning us about judging people without giving them the benefit of the doubt. Fault finding, labeling, slam dunking, because it makes you feel good. Jesus is not saying never ask questions, never question faulty thinking, never condemn anybody for a crime or an abuse. What he is saying, though, is don't go through life with a condemning judgmental spirit. Don't lead with that. Don't be that guy. Lead with love. Be gracious. Be kind. Listen. And then respond in appropriate ways. Uh, Nofel Staten <clears throat> is an author and a Greek professor. And he tells about an encounter he had when he was in the Air Force right after World War II. An old master sergeant in the unit came to work drunk twice in one week. And several guys in that unit got together and made a formal complaint. They said, this man's incompetent. He's coming to work drunk. He needs severe discipline, they said. And then the colonel set him down <clears throat> and said, before I file this complaint, uh, I think you need to know some facts. This sergeant was captured by the Germans in World War II and tortured unmercifully, but he would not divulge the critical facts that he knew. They also captured his brother. They brought his brother into his cell and put a gun to that boy's head and said, if you don't tell us what you know, we're going to shoot your brother. And he would not tell. And they shot his brother and his brother's blood spread all over his face. When the war ended, that man weighed 75 pounds. They took him to Walter Reed Hospital. They gave him so much pain medication, he became addicted. And so the army is facing a dilemma. Do we give him a medical discharge or do we keep him in the military? If we discharge him, he'll become a homeless derelict. His alcoholic condition in the service is going to render him almost useless. But at least there's hope that he'll recover if we hang on to him. So they chose the latter. And the colonel said, now, what do you want me to do with this complaint? And they all suddenly changed their minds. Now, none of those guys were followers of Jesus. They just didn't want to do to him what they all hoped nobody would do to them if they were in the same circumstances. But friends, if we're followers of Jesus, we have a new heart. Man, we know, that, we know that we are sinful people who have been completely forgiven of all of our sins. Man, our record has been completely cleansed by the blood of Christ, not because of any work on our part, totally by the grace and the kindness of God, which makes it so much easier for you to lead with that same kind of grace and that same kind of kindness if that's what's in your heart. Man, you do for others the good that's already been done for you, not judgment, but grace. We detox judgmentalism, <coughs> excuse me, and replace it with grace. Now, in a sense, everything else that Jesus is going to teach us in this passage is a derivative of, you know, the golden rule. We detox our heart by following this golden rule. Let's move through this a little bit more quickly. Look at number two, detox stinginess and replace it with blessing. Say it with me, everybody. Detox stinginess and replace it with blessing. Now here's the crazy thing. When Jesus is in charge of your heart health, if you've been blessed, it makes you wanna bless other people. And when you bless other people, Jesus says there is a boomerang of blessing that always comes back to people who bless. Now that's not why you bless, that's just a reality. So let's read verse 38 all together. Y'all ready, big boys, now come on. Give and it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, now imagine, imagine what, what the hearers of this originally would be thinking. Uh, back in Israel, when some harvester uh, harvests grain all day, then at the end of the day, they paid him with a basket of, of grain. 
And so the person, the harvester would sit down and hold that basket between their knees. And when the basket was about three quarters of the way full, they'd start shaking it. And they start shaking it so the corn or the grain would just settle down and fill that basket all the way up to the top. And if a generous measure was going to be given, man, it would literally run over the edge of the basket out into your lap because the giver was trying to make sure your basket was filled all the way to the top. Now, we've used this verse to teach on how God rewards financial generosity for many years. And all of us who are tithers and all of us who gave generously to the Christmas offering are going to find out this principle is true. When you give, more is given to you. But think of this in the context of the four commands in this passage. Don't judge. Don't condemn. Forgive. Give. This is the kind of heart that Jesus, you know, says, sets his followers apart. Man, just like Jesus, our heart leads with a counterintuitive love that is the last one anybody expects. Man, when people know that you are a Christ follower at work, they expect you to be judgmental. And when you are not judgmental, that comes back to you. People are gracious to you. People are protective of you. People defend you. Man, when you're not condemning, you give people the benefit of the doubt. That comes back to you. People think the best of you. You think the best of them, so they try to think the best of you. Man, when you give love, it comes back to you. And generally, you get a lot more love back than you gave. And then Jesus teaches us to delete toxic influencers and replace them with healthy leaders. Say it with me, everybody. Delete toxic influencers, replace them with healthy leaders. <coughs> Look at verse 39, 39. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Now, what if you pick as a hero, some judgmental, condemning joker that just whacks everybody who disagrees with him or her. And that's your hero. What kind of person are you going to become? Jesus said, if that person has much influence in your life, you may become just like that. Verse 41 says, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye, you hypocrite, First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, this is humor, okay? Uh, in the ancient Middle East, you know, humor was built primarily on exaggeration. And you can see all the exaggerate, crazy exaggerations in this. You're not laughing right now because you're not very spiritual. <laughs> but Jesus was breaking. He was killing it, y'all. I'm going to tell you, he's killing this, all right? Now, <clears throat> let me just give you the bottom line. We all have something in our eye that affects how we see other people. Amen. We all have something in our eye. I got a piece of metal, a metal shaving stuck in my eye a few years ago. I mean, I went to the mirror and looked, and there's this thing sticking out of my eye. I couldn't believe it. So I had to go to the doctor and had him remove it for me. And it was just a tiny little splinter of metal, but it really affected my vision. I mean, when he went to get it, it distorted how everything looked. It was bad. And I had to ask for help to get that fixed. My friends, Paul said, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. You're going to need some spiritual friends in your life if you're going to deal with your heart problems. And you need to deal with your heart problems before you try to start fixing everybody else. And that's why I'm so thankful for everybody here who's in one of our life groups. Man, if you're in one of our life groups, you're connecting with good spiritual friends that you're going to learn to trust and talk to. And man, when you get all hot and moving in the wrong direction, they're going to be able to talk you down a little bit. I was in my life group last Thursday morning and they talked me down just a couple weeks ago. I was all amped up. They're like, man, come on, calm down. And it was a blessing for me. 
This is why I'm so excited about all the new people who came back. You know, they, they came here for Christmas and now they're back today. Listen, you're investing in an environment where you can connect with good leaders and build a strong heart, man, where people can help you deal with your stuff. And that will make you even better as a leader of your family and your colleagues and your friends. Jesus goes on to teach that good hearts produce good fruit. Say it with me, everybody. Good hearts produce good fruit. Look at verse 43. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs are not gathered from the thorn bushes, grapes are, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. But the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. <clears throat> I got rebuked over something I said about four weeks ago uh, from the pulpit by a friend of mine. He's one of our leaders here in the church. <clears throat> it's kind of a nitpicker, but no, I'm just kidding about that. All right. <laughs> Now, I was, I was, I was, I love this guy. I was talking about the new downtown campus, right? And I was trying to describe how strategic this position is on this property. And I said, you know, it's just about a five minute walk from Forsyth Park. And then I put a map up that, that, that showed that it's only a five minute walk if you're like an Olympic runner, right? <laughs> but I said five minutes from Forsyth Park. And he called me on it, which I appreciated because I believe it's important to be precise. And I wasn't. So I'm glad he called me on that. And if he'd been a jerk about it, I still would be glad he called me on it because I want to be precise. But he was not a jerk. He was not judgmental. He was not condemning. He led with grace. Cam, I love you. And I love your leadership. And I know you're a truth teller. And that's why I'm concerned about this bad number you threw out in that talk. Because what we're talking about is so important. And when you throw out some bogus number like that, everybody's pulling their phones out to check and see how long it takes to walk from Forsyth Park to our property. Answer, 21 minutes. <laughs> and they're checking the phone instead of listening to what you're trying to say. Now, he didn't judge me. He didn't condemn me. But he did hold me accountable for accuracy. And there's no ability like accountability. Can I get Amen. You know, Proverbs 9, 9 says, give instruction to a wise man and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, he will increase in learning. So I thanked him and I checked the distance for myself. <clears throat> and then I corrected my notes and I benefited from that rebuke. Now, you know why that man rebuked me? Because he loves Jesus and he loves me and he loves our church. Do you know why I received that rebuke? Because I know he loves Jesus and I know he loves me. And I know he loves our church, and so do I. But friends, here's the truth. I've got something in my eye all the time. And so does he, and we know that. And the humility of admitting that affects our heart. It detoxes our heart, and it changes the way we talk about each other. So to land this thing, Jesus reminds us that strong hearts are not born, they are built. Say it with me, everybody. Strong hearts are not born, they are built. You know, the American Heart Association says that there are five workouts that you can do to build a strong heart. You can work, walk, you can swim, you can stretch, you can weight, lift weights, you can do aerobics. And people who do those things build a strong physical heart. And people who don't are by default, building a weak heart. Now listen to how Jesus ends this lesson in verse 46. 
Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everybody who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I'll show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood rose and the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. The one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Now, friends, one way to understand this parable is to look at the similarities and then look at the differences. Here are the similarities. Both the wise and the foolish are building. Wise people are building strong hearts. Foolish people are building weak hearts. And the storms are going to hit both. Amen? The storm comes to the wise heart. The storm comes to the foolish heart. That test, that test what has been built, nobody's going to be exempt. In fact, God allows testing times to come into our lives because every test proves the strength of the wise builder and gives glory to God. So when the wind of suspicion blows and you don't respond with judgment or condemnation, you respond with grace, it's because you've built a strong heart. You've let the Lord build a strong heart in you on a, on a firm foundation. When some teacher starts spouting off and you realize what he's saying is not in the scripture, that's a blind guide and you refuse to follow him. You know why you do that? Because your heart is strong. When over time, we realize that what's coming out of our mouth is generally loving and pure and good. And it's amazing because it wasn't that way 10 years ago. But now it's loving and pure and good. I know that Jesus is building my heart that way. And when I live that way, he gets the glory for it. Amen. Father, <clears throat> thank you for this time you've given us to be together here. And thank you, Lord, that we don't have to do heart surgery on ourselves. There is a great physician. His name is the Holy Spirit. He lives inside every one of us. And Father, we know he wants to detox this heart. We know he wants to get out of us that judgmentalism that's all based on pride and power and, and, and all of that stuff and replace it with the kind of grace that we have received from you and the kind of grace that is so typical of you. We know, Lord, that the Holy Spirit is working in us right now. Some of us right now are thinking about something that I didn't even talk about in this message, but the Holy Spirit has put the finger on something in their heart that he wants to do surgery on, something in their heart that needs to be detoxed. It's got to go. It's just got to go. And it's not going to just go sitting around hoping it'll go. There's got to be some steps. And the first step is the humility to just admit, I've got something in my eye and I need help getting it out. And I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit will touch many of us in specific ways. And this will be the day that we join a recovery group to detox our heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.